0: Welcome, one and all. To be real, guys, my name's Chance Solemn-Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard, the other guy. And uh, as we do every one to two weeks, we're here to talk about a trio of movies based around a particular genre. Uh, This one taking it back to the glory days of our high school years. Taking it much, much further back to the glory days of uh, some of the English language's most influential writers. Talking about high school movies based on classic lit.
1: Yeah, that's the funny thing about these movies is it's movies set in high school based on books that you'd probably read in high school. Yes. Of which one of these movies is keenly is actually aware. referenced. Yes. Yeah. So we've got what 95's Clueless, which mm-hmm. is based on Emma. Yep. Jane Austen. Jane Austen. Book.
0: 1999's uh Ten Things I Hate About You, based on Bill Bill Shakespeare's The
1: Taming of the Shrew. And yeah.
0: uh, EZA from 2010
1: Yeah, Nathaniel the, Hawthorne's uh, classic work Scarlet Letter
0: Where are we starting today, Noah? I think we should start with Clueless, right?
1: Yeah, I think chronologically makes sense here
0: Very well, let's do it um, And in light of Clueless And in light of sort of this genre in general We've got a guest on this show Absolutely No, introduce the guest since since you know her
1: uh, well, the guest is my wonderful client, uh, Joanna Novak, who wrote a very funny book, a very smart book, about uh, how girls sort of understood themselves in the 90s. Oh, and a lot of the references in the book uh, are too Clueless and other movies that sort of are part of this canon. Yeah, um, and just
0: pop culture obsession in general.
1: Yeah, and Joanna writes for Salon. She's written, like, for Everywhere about sort of these kinds of cultural things and these sort of retroactive hot takes, which are always very apt. So yeah, we thought it'd be cool to have her on the show.
0: Wonderful. Um, well, should we synopsize Clueless and then bring Joanna in?
1: Sure. Do you want to do that?
0: Uh, I can take a crack at it. Um, so set in 1995, in, or made and set in the 90s, uh, in Malibu, we follow uh, Cher, Cher played by Alicia Silverstone, and her friend uh, Dion, played by Stacey Dash, she she notes that we're both named after great singers of the past who now do infomercials. Right. Um, and Cher is sort of like this... She's kind of queen of the school, but she's a real, like... Very superficial in the way that mm-hmm. you would expect. Very materialistic in the way that you would expect. But she's very into... Little missions. She's really into jobs. Oh, she jobs loves little missions. And like yeah. fixing people's relationships. Projects. And, yeah. She takes on so many projects. It's really interesting the way she, the phrase makeover for her is like, can be applied to anything. Right. Like, oh, I'll just give that a makeover and then that will improve it and I will get what I want. Um, well, uh, the project that sort of instigates this movie is uh, is Ty, uh, who is seems like she's from the East Coast a real fish out of water in this very, very upper class uh, Malibu high school. Um, Cher and and Dion want to kind of want to show her the ways. Uh, and Ty is played by Brittany Murphy. And um, rest in
1: peace, Brittany Murphy.
0: Yes. And yeah, I don't know. The, the plot is not necessarily like the most important part of this movie. It's just like a lot of intersecting people and trying to like set up Ty with people and set up herself with people and her, Her like stepbrother uh, is played by Paul Rudd and he's like sort of like a different sort of 90s subcultural figure. Um, And uh, yeah, it's kind of like it's about pairing off and finding yourself through superficiality.
1: Yeah, it's also about some other sort of questionable things, but that's a good good start. So why don't we hear from Joanna and uh, Chance's conversation with her?
2: Okay, like right now, for example, the Haitians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like, when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? I said RSVP because it was a sit-down dinner. But people came that, like, did not RSVP, so I was, like, totally buggin'. I had to haul ash to the kitchen, redistribute the food, squish in extra place settings, But by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of
0: Liberty. So our guest today, her debut novel, uh, I Must Have You, comes out uh, May 9th on Skyhorse Publishing. Uh, I've had truly the best time. Uh, reading this book the last week. It's it's really voicey, it's like rhythmically wonderful, um, and there's like a sense of physicality that's um, sometimes horrifying, sometimes really enrapturing, and page to page it's just super funny. I can't say enough uh, good stuff about it. Uh, Joanna Novak, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Chance.
0: So I wanted to s- sort of synopsize your your book briefly and yell at me if I get anything wrong, and then we'll kind of parlay that into a into a conversation uh starting starting with Clueless um so it it, there's a trio of first-person narrators two of whom are eighth grade girls Elliot and Lisa it's set in 1999 Chicago um and Elliot and Lisa have sort of had a falling out when we when we first meet them um because Elliot has has offers this this sort of I guess it's a service at her at her junior high school where she's like a Kind of really like a weight loss coach in these really kind of extreme unhealthy ways for both coach and coachy, um, but she takes before and after um, polaroids of her of her quote unquote clients, uh, you know, to show to show progress, I, I suppose. And then it's in the third chapter of the book when Lisa is is at home uh, watching Clueless, one of her favorite movies, on a sick day, when it kind of pops into her mind um, that uh, Elliot may actually be ripping off Cher in clueless by saying i don't trust the mirror i only take i only take polaroids um so let's start here so even if even if you hadn't actually mentioned clueless in the book i think the resonances of Cher might have been there with the way <laughs> these girls talk but do you remember actually deciding uh you know what i'm going to have lisa watch and riff on this movie
2: yeah i do actually um because Well, clueless was super important for me as a young person. It was like, it came out, um, right before I entered fifth grade actually. Um, and I remember that was like before I went to middle school and I remember people throwing parties about clueless. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it like swept our area. Um, and like it, it really infected the culture of my middle school. So it's it's in my mind anyway um but as i was working on the book i was um my husband was out of town i was home alone and i was like what am i going to watch tonight and i was working on this novel so i was like well i probably should watch clueless i haven't seen that in six months sure you um, could call
0: it research
2: i could call it research exactly and um yeah i just like put it on i don't usually watch movies by myself like that um and i was startled to hear to hear share say you know taking these polaroids and and hear her say this thing about you know not trusting the mirror and I realized that I hadn't written that Lisa section yet, and I realized that Elliot was kind of um, ripping off Cher and Amy Heckerling. And, um, and then I thought, well, how, how great would it be to, you know, have them watching this movie, which, you know, we were all kind of obsessed with anyways in the 90s. Um, so that's really how that kind of originated.
0: One of the things that Noah and I talked about Clueless in our reviews is is just this, the way it does this sort of really interesting dance between uh, like very self-aware satire, but then still kind of giving you that genuine teen movie mm-hmm. that you want at the end. Do you remember how you looked at it growing up? Did you see it as satirical or did you know that these characters were sort of like figurative types? How did you take it as a kid?
2: It was definitely one of those movies that you understood as satirical or at least like my friends and I did um because i I remember in the trailer one of the moments that was um, pulled out that was very quotable was like when Cher comes down for her date with um I think it's her date with Christian and uh-huh. and um, she, her dad is like, where are you going?" And she's like, "Out," you know. And he's like, "What are you wearing?" And she says, "It's a dress." And he says, "Says who?" And she says, "Calvin Klein." And <laughs> you know, every that obviously that was ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you knew this is over the top. Um, and and I I think that another thing that really pointed to the satirical nature of of the movie was the presence of cell phones, um, which if you haven't seen the movie in a while, they're kind of startling um, Uh because people don't even use cell phones like this now. I mean, actually, you know, the, the women are talking to each other, the girls, they're girls in the movie, like they're talking to each other as they're leaving classrooms. I don't, think that's even possible for today's mm-hmm. high schoolers but you know maybe um or you've got i think travis birkenstock orders a pizza to the classroom at one point in a totally spicoli move i'm not sure i might be mixing those two things up right now but um you know like the cell phones also at were kind of indicating to i think viewers that the movie is over the top like this is a kind of fantasy um yeah but you know the the friendship the friendships depicted in the film are, are for me or what I, what I remember as being really um, true, you know, like the, the kind of girl dynamics are. Between
0: Dee and Cher and Ty. Which,
2: yeah. Between Dee and Cher and Ty, they're like crushing. I mean, when, you know, when Ty tells Cher, she's a virgin who can't drive it, like, I still feel awful when I hear that for them. Um, mm-hmm. So, I think that's the part of the film that really wins in its sincerity. Obviously that kind of, you know, love story between Cher and her stepbrother is a little, since it is what it is, but, um, (laughs) Uh (laughs) you know, I think the girl friendships are really, really true.
0: Yeah. Um, I should, Going back a couple minutes here, I should compliment you on your line reading. That was that was downright Silverstonian <laughs> the way you got your voice up there. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, so what? So I guess a big part of, uh, of Clueless and and Ten Things, which we also watched, and your book mm-hmm. is is the '90s. Um, but I'm I'm sort of interested in maybe if there is some separation between. Uh, 95 when clueless is, is set and, and and 99 um because y- you know you have we sort of got you on the show thinking like oh your characters are sort of analogous it's like similar to these movies but no these are actually kids who've grown up with clueless mm-hmm. um and grown up with nirvana t-shirts and they are grown up with michael jordan and there's sort of like this hint that that's all headed out the window like they're going to be in high school during 9-11 so how did you reflect on like 1999 as specifically as you did
2: yeah, 1999 was a really important um, year for the book. Um, when I thought about when I could set it, um, I knew I wanted the book to be set in suburban Chicago because that's a place that I understand and know. Um, but... What I realized as I looked into, you know, what year I might set the book in, is 1999 was kind of that turning point. You know, like um, that's when Michael Jordan retires from basketball. That was kind of like an end of the era moment. Um, cell phones were becoming more prevalent. The internet was suddenly a thing. Um, and yeah, for some real adults, the internet probably existed in 1995, but. You know, in 1999, um, when I was in eighth grade, we were learning how to do things like, you know, use Yahoo for a search or whatever, and people had AOL. And so there are all these kinds of hints of the future, and the future that we're in in a lot of ways, a future that's really even more image-based than the 90s were. Um, I think there's also, I think there's something about 1999 that's even a little bit more... Um, like we're entering into also that kind of apocalyptic mindset that in 1995 wasn't really um, in the air. Um, mm-hmm. But in by 1999, people were getting so freaked out about Y2K that really was important for me to have that kind of edge that's sort of like, we don't know what's coming next.
0: More generally joanna when you're writing eighth graders in your book who are are almost high schoolers <laughs> um what is that what is that like i mean that would be an interesting question i think if i could you know get any of the screenwriters who wrote any of these movies on the line it would be like what i would ask them are are you are you parsing out the ways in which they're pretty grown up but they're not grown up at all or are you trying to kind of like let go of some adult self consciousness and find a kid's voice? What mm-hmm. how is how is that?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um I, I was interested in kind of the ways that they are both mature and like in some ways um in some ways savvier than the adults around them, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're more nuanced in their understandings, I think, of things than um like lisa for example i think has a more nuanced understanding of sex and sex for like someone her age than like her sure. mother does even though obviously she's engaging in like what is it i guess technically statutory rape right. stuff uh-huh. but i think there's some nuance that's important right um so i like the way that adolescents and eighth graders specifically have this kind of like emboldened um Uh, authority they think they know so much and like they do in some ways like Mm -hmm. a lot of these people who are you know a nice thing about getting about 99 is that there isn't it's not the 2000s people aren't moved to their phone people still these kids could still nerd out and read about things um Mm -hmm. at the same time like you know I wanted their their vulnerabilities to be present too they are 13 and 14 year olds um that that aren't capable of a lot of things um so when i'm writing them i'm i'm trying to think both about you know i'm trying to give them all the credit in the world and then also sort of let there be these cracks um that make them them real
0: the way that these kids talk, like their, mm-hmm. their dialogue. Um, and it, it definitely relates. I think you could definitely tie it in to clueless. You, they have mm-hmm. these sort of like very advanced vocabularies in some ways. One of my favorite moments is actually when, uh, Lisa uses the word effluvia and then in parentheses says like vocab points as in like, mm-hmm. c- can I get some like middle school English teacher? Yeah. Um, um, but then of course you have that mixed with kind of the, the slang and the, The as if of it all. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so what's it like to be in the rhythm of sort of like writing these uh, adolescent characters who are, you know, doing their best with these like great adjectives and (laughs) trying to describe things. And then you sort of like pop the balloon and remind people that they're 14 and they just think some things are icky and gross and geeks and nerds and stuff.
2: It's actually very fun. I mean, and I think- I bet it it would be. Yeah, and I think it like really appeals to- Many people, or it appeals to my, I'll just admit this, like kind of basist impulse, which is like to see, judge, see, judge, see, react, see, uh-huh. judge. You know, like there's uh-huh. none of the, um there's no, I mean, there's tons of reflection in the book actually to say there's not as kind of inaccurate, but right. like I, I just opened to a random page. Um, I'm on 132 and I'm just looking at this sentence caught my eye and it just says what you're talking about. I mean, it's Lisa thinking her butt juniors would call junior Carlos would call a badonk ew, and like, (laughs) Uh it's this really interesting thing that was happening as I was writing where I was both like trying to create a world, but also, um, constantly interrupt it in the way that, you know, um, Adolescents do they're, they're constantly trying to own it And author it themselves
0: Can we talk uh, I want to talk too about The, uh, the, like the pop culture obsession yeah. of, of these narrators Because it's very much um, It just feels like it's their lexicon Like it's very mm-hmm. naturally Like the edges of their mind Their mind bounces around And then every like fourth thought is like mm-hmm. a reference to a, a film or a celebrity or, or something like that. And and the one that got really got me, by the way, when I knew I was on the hook for the book was uh, when Elliot called Carl Malone a skis beard, um, <laughs> which was tremendous. He um, totally had one. <laughs> I, I really didn't remember that, but that was part of the joy of it, was thinking about this guy I'd seen play basketball thousands of times, and being like, oh, yeah, if you're in the right light, he is a real skis beard. <laughs> um but do you did you so when you think about that kind of that pop culture fixation is is that really like do you think that was very of the time or do you think it was maybe sort of the beginning of what we do now
2: that's a good question um i think it i w- I, I think it was a l- little bit of the time but mm-hmm. i think we've been kind of you know, maybe ever since like MTV and VH1, we've probably been working our way toward what we do now. Um, yeah. You know, but these these characters, um, pop culture is their culture, right? So that's how they understand the world, and that's what that's how they relate to one another. Um, and it's weird because when you're trying to relate to other people, you then internalize. The the terms by which you relate, right? So even if sure, Elliot yeah. doesn't, even if Elliot doesn't care at all about Savage Garden, like I actually think she would probably hate Savage Garden, <laughs> she still thinks about them. She still knows them, um, and it's like this currency you have as an adolescent are these kinds of references. And a lot of this book is about, and a lot of you know high school movies about fitting in and like finding your people and figuring out who you are a little bit. And you know in the nineties that involved thinking about a lot of celebrities and athletes and mm-hmm. um and you know kind of phenomenons um I mean, I remember thinking about the dancing baby from Ali McBeal and including that and remembering like <laughs> god that was a that was like a thing, <laughs> and then maybe now it would be a meme or whatever, but like it it was a real there was a flare-up, you know, probably, that baby was probably on David Letterman, (laughs) some image of it, so it had its moment, and like, we still are doing, we're still obsessed with that kind of stuff.
0: Would it be a much taller, granted, you did not go to high school right now, you're an adult, as am I, so what would Mm -hmm. we know, but like, what would it be like to, how, how would you approach like, setting a setting a novel, uh, in say eighth or ninth grade of, of 2017. What do you think some of the things would be the same, uh, from how you wrote yours?
2: I do think some of the things would be the same. Yeah. Um, especially, well, yeah, especially among, among young girls, um, because they have just as many, actually probably more opportunities to, um, obsess over their bodies right Mm. um Mm -hmm. and so i mean if i were writing a book that was set in the present day i'm sure there would still be um that kind of um you know bartering of one's self-worth for um like a kind of certain physical appearance um i would i think that would be still present Um, I think though that today's, um, high schoolers or, you know, middle schoolers probably have a more, a more nuanced or a more sophisticated vocabulary about their bodies and like body image because we have a more complicated conversation with a lot more voices in it now, um, and that's like one great thing about living in the, you know, in the 2000s, not the 90s, is we do have a conversation that includes things like body neutrality or body body positivity. Um, and so I bet like I bet today's eighth and ninth graders are pretty savvy in terms of like talking about some of those things. Or I would hope. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if I was if I were writing the the high school novel set now, I would still include some body image stuff, um, but I would kind of complicate the conversation. And I, But I would also, I would totally Cameron Crow it. I mean, I would try to, like, hang out with kids, which would be creepy <laughs> as, a, as a 30-something. Um, uh-huh. Because I don't have a kid, but, like, I would want to hear how they talk and, and hear the way that they, you know, judge or don't judge. Maybe kids now, because of all the anti-bullying stuff, maybe they're less judgy than the Mm. nineties kids. I don't know. That's a possibility um, that they could be like more, more tolerant. Um, You know, that's something that these characters and I must have you are flirting with like acceptance of a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of different kinds of ways of being. Um, But they're not quite there yet. You know, maybe, maybe kids today are getting to that there.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Well, uh, best of luck on the on the new novel that we just started and when and when the kids look at you and say what are you doing here and you'll say oh i'm i'm just cameron crowing it and they'll know right away that they probably shouldn't be around such an old person.
2: <laughs> exactly
0: well congrats on this book joanna thanks so much for doing the show
2: thanks so much chance it's been a pleasure d what's up did you get your report card
1: yeah i'm toast how'd you do
2: i totally choked my father is gonna go ballistic on me
0: mr hall was way harsh
2: he gave me a C minus. Well, he gave me a C, which
1: drags down my entire average. Bye. I'll call you, okay? So Noah, what's, Sir. Our, what's our first word on Clueless? Um, well, I don't think it's really a spoiler, because A, this movie's super old, and it's not like a thriller. Um, The movie ends... I, I need to start with the ending of this movie. Sure. Because there's been so many hot takes in this movie. This movie, I feel like, comes up in the zeitgeist every few years. Right. And... I just, like, can't get over the fact that at the end of the movie, it ends up with Alicia Silverstone's share getting together with who is essentially her stepbrother, Paul mm-hmm. Rudd. Um,
0: Not related by blood, but as Royal Tenenbaum might say, still frowned upon. And, like, that's just, like, a little icky. Oh, it's deaf icky.
1: <laughs> and there's
0: not a lot of, like, reason for it. You know no. what I mean? There's like, no reason
1: that he has to be like he could just be like an associate at his law firm Like there's no reason for him to be her brother Right And like, then the movie
0: The, the movie thinks that maybe Josh and Ty should be together Until like the last 10 minutes And then Travis the stoner skateboard guy Played by and Meyer, Who's now clean Does some cool skateboard tricks And that's like the decision Oh no they should be together Leaving only Cher and Josh There's not right. a lot of reason for it
1: But I just think you like you clean the whole thing up like sort of like in the icky factor if the device is not that he's like her stepbrother. It's like just such an unnecessary (laughs) specific thing that just makes the movie weird and nobody like really addresses how weird it is. No, they just go to that wedding. It even like goes to lengths to have the father character be like, you don't give, you don't divorce kids. Like he sees him as a kid, like his kid. (laughs) yeah. Yep. It's it's very odd It's, it's very unnerving um, But I think Did you find that with all three of these movies You were sort of pleasantly surprised How progressive maybe they were Especially The Clueless and 10 Things I Hate About You And then maybe sort of conflicted about how not progressive Easy A was Um... Yeah, I think mostly.
0: Where do you see Clueless being most progressive?
1: I just thought it was so interesting how a movie like that like knew how to poke fun at like its own privilege and the privilege of the characters. Sure. And it also does some really interesting things I think with talking about like like white people and black people because with the Stacey Dash character, she like almost when she's with um the guy from Scrubs. Yeah, Donald Faison. Do- yeah, she code switches, which is I think is a really interesting thing about this movie, too. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I think it's like it holds up in a weird sort of politically correct way. And they even use terms like politically correct. Like, it's a weirdly ahead-of-its-time sort of movie in its posturing, maybe.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, I think that's why, as you mentioned, people are still kind of apt to write about it. Because by far the best part of Amy Heckerling's script is just how... Madly farcical it is, and so its own level of self awareness about the time period is very, is what caught me off guard. It's that well, that's it's, yeah, that it's Shear, such a
1: good mirror to the '90s, but it was made in the '90s. Like it doesn't a lot of. Sh- it, Go ahead, sorry. I mean, it's just it's hard to sort of understand how a movie like this was even made.
0: Yeah, a lot of shares dialogue. It almost like it's like she's a talking like a '90s cultural critic. Right. He, when she's kind of like shooting down um like the music Josh is listening to, he's like, Oh, you really like the maudlin music of the seventies. As though there's like this epochal awareness, um right. like among these characters about like, yes the nineties are cynical and we're right to be cynical, damn it. Right. It's it's but very that's... strange.
1: And then like the well the The weird thing about this production, too, is it's, like, so intensely, like, of its time down to, like, the last detail. Like, this movie has Radiohead, like, in it a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, when Radiohead was at the peak of its popularity. Like, it sort of was so self-aware about what it was be what it would be like so the sort of artifact that it would become it like threw in every little thing it could to be like hey guys this is what it was like yeah
0: it opens like a 90s music video and then Cher is like what do you think this is like a music video (laughs) or something like that
1: right it's very it's weirdly self-aware you can tell where certain high school tropes were like built Mm -hmm. you know that that's sort of what'll be repeated in 10 things i hate about you that oh here are each popular here's the each group like they own you know, like mercedes and like right. they like don't talk to them if you and like these are the only people you can date and you'll see that then used again with like you know the white rastas and uh the guys wearing the eyesods <laughs> and everything like that right it, it, the beginning of it you see tropes being built sure
0: yeah, or I maybe not so much built as, like, calcified. It was interesting to think of these movies coming out of, like, the like, Hughes movies. Right,
1: post-Hughes.
0: Yeah, like, post-Hughes. I mean, obviously, like, that's what Breakfast Club is, is this, you know, identifying of these different, like, social groups and what they have and don't have in common as people. Um, but it's interesting that, like, sort of rocketing away from middle class, middle America toward, like, The richest, richest, sunniest 1% of America That you sort of see, you know That's the Persian mafia Like you can't even talk to them If you don't drive a Lamborghini or something Right
1: Yeah (laughs) I think it's, and that's what I sort of am drawn to It's politics too, like I was saying Is, you know, moments like Where John Hughes, I think, like Associated, like, smoke and pot With, like, like, the kids who don't, like Perform well or something Yeah There's even a line where Alicia Silverstone's like you know, just if you smoke a little on the weekends, like that's fine. Just like don't do it every day. And that's not something that a Hughes character would have ever uttered, I don't think.
0: Right. Yeah. It just kinda would have been his defining just would've right. made him Judd Nelson, basically. Absolutely. Well, I think this is a good spot to transition to, you know, the way it relates to its again, loosely, its source material, is that, you know, this is a nineties comedy of manners. It's right. it's concerned with high society and the mores of high society and sort of like subverting those like but i have trouble seeing like a real soul to this movie if that makes sense because like, the really? movie's not really i don't think it's really concerned with like you know being real like it's a really good farce and like the it takes this like incredible like layer of superficiality and like makes a movie out of it but i think if what I have trouble with is any kind of emotional relationship
1: to these characters. It's almost, you're watching this for the sheer like whimsy of it. It's, mm. it's, I don't even think this movie cares if you like are emotionally moved by it. It's just sort of like witty and oh yeah, surprisingly ubiquitous for a movie that demands so much intellectually from you.
0: That's a good, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I think that that's the, that's the attraction. The way in which it wants for analysis The character of Cher She is kind of odd And she is kind of inconsistent You know, like you don't immediately right. recognize her as like Oh, there's There's the popular girl Like that does not sum her up That way she she turns these She turns everything into a social little mission Like raise the grades mm-hmm. Make a cameo at the val party Be seen Even when she thinks that Um the, the guy who looks like James Dean who turns out to be gay, when she thinks that he oh, yeah, likes love her, that guy. she still turns attraction for herself into like disembodied missions. Like, I'm going to send myself flowers and chocolates
1: Right. Yeah. Well, that's like the sort of the interesting thing about the movie and sort of its moral, maybe, is that like it's her finding like what actual unplanned life looks like. Mm hmm. I mean, I feel like that's a lot of these movies is like everyone has a plan for growing up and here's what it is. But something unexpected happens with someone you didn't expect. Right. Even if it's your stepbrother. (laughs) And it really just makes the best memories of high school ever.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, But I think this movie, if we're getting towards ratings. Sure. Pulls it off. It pulls off that trick of a high school movie.
0: Why don't we explain our rating system
1: and then we'll talk about it. All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good good, bad bad, good bad, and bad good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure.
0: Good good is easy, things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again, like watching The Departed or Jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good good movies make Noah
1: say, Love that. Bad, bad is easy too. Things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild Wests, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad, bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that.
0: Good Bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, Most Classical Music, Eating Your Goddamn Vegetables. Good Bad is about being an
1: adult, and these kinds of movies make no assay. I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, Bad Good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation. Honey, Kids. And Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say. But it failed in
0: such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. So for me, I mean I do appreciate this movie, but like I said, I appreciate it on that intellectual level where I would like go back and and listen to the dialogue and like break down the expressions and think about the ways it like it relates to her as sort of this um, you know type a austinian kind of character but in terms of honestly i mean not to spoil my opinion about 10 things i hate about you but that compulsive rewatchability that like i just love these people and i want to hang out with them this movie doesn't do that for me so i might actually go ahead and say good bad
1: good bad interesting i can see that argument and it's definitely less fun than maybe the other two right but I don't think that makes it unwatchable. I just think it makes it maybe a movie with a bit more ambition, technically, sure. than the other two. So I'm gonna have to say that this one is a good, good and the I've seen this movie three or four times and I like find something new to savor about it every time I watch it. Um and this this time was sort of like the more like the the codes with which people speak and like the weird sort of class struggle going on between like the rich and then the super rich (laughs) yeah yeah but we're moving along i guess to 10 things i hate about you
0: yes let's
1: shall we um can i synopsize i really like this movie i'm gonna say it up front i really like have a warm if where i didn't have a warm relationship with clueless i definitely do with 10 things i hate about you i had the little Green and pink and white uh, v- VHS box of it. Growing up, I, yeah. Every time I popped into the VCR, I would read Joel Siegel's review of uproarious on the back. <laughs> uh-huh. it's, uh huh. It's a Taming of the Shrew, uh, William Shakespeare, done in uh, a Seattle suburb high school. Okay, so you've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt as our. Um, or Cameron, mm-hmm. and he comes to this new school, and then David Krumholtz doing uh, Michael Ekman. <laughs> Michael Ekman is an interesting character that I paid way more attention to like this time, because I've seen this movie maybe 50 times. Oh, yeah? Um, I want to talk about Michael Ekman. Don't let me forget about All Michael right. Ekman. noted. Um, and so Michael Ekman is showing uh, Cameron around, and they're doing like the quintessential... like. You know, there's the white Rastas, there's the jocks, there's the whomever. Um, and we're introduced to Larissa Olniak, Alex Mack, from back in the day, who the camera slows down and the music swells and there she is. And uh, Joseph gordon Levin's like, I gotta have that.
2: Bianca Stratford is the
0: most popular girl at Padua High.
2: You're asking me out?
1: I'm down. I've got the 411. And you are not going out and getting jiggy with some boy. I don't care how dope his ride is. Her sister, Kat, is something else entirely. People perceive you as somewhat tempestuous. <laughs> Pain switch is the term used most often. The only thing they have in common... I am the only girl in school who's not dating. Oh, no, you're not. Your sister doesn't date. ...is one simple rule. Okay, you can date. When she does. But she's a mutant. What if she never dates? Then you'll never date. Oh, I like that. They decide that they're going to pay someone to take out Kat to, like, just have this thing be done with. But they don't have any money. So what do they do? They find someone who's rich and stupid. um, And they find an Andrew Keegan playing uh, Joey Donner. They convince him that he wants to go out with Bianca, and the way that he fixes it is by getting someone to go out with Kat And the person that they pick is Patrick Verona, played by um, Heath my, like, Ledger. I, I'm working up to it. <laughs> and I think like that. This is the, his star turn, right? That made him a household name. That's his
0: first American film, yeah.
1: Yeah, just oozing with charisma and mystery.
0: Oh, absolutely. That Heath Ledger. So I'd never seen this movie before. Are
1: you fucking kidding me? Nope. Somehow. I'd never How seen is th- it. That's unbelievable. No wonder you're so weird.
0: And it's on Netflix, by the way, if you want oh, to watch yeah. it. And
1: uh, Clueless, Clueless is Clueless is Hulu. on Hulu. Yep. Jinx. What unfolds is like, yeah, a high school movie of, you know, the highest order. I think. With some like pretty memorable scenes, including Heath Ledger, of course, uh, seeing Frankie Valli. On the bleachers to Julia Stiles Who's mad at him Mm -hmm. Oh you know what my favorite scene is In the movie not even a scene it's just a A a cutting it's nothing Sure what it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt Cameron Is like like spewing His heart out to Bianca in the car You know like just because you're beautiful Doesn't mean you get to like treat people like crap kind of Thing and she stops him like Mid-roll and Kisses him and she like smiles And like gets out and goes back into her house Joseph Gordon Levitt just sort of cocks his head, like hits his hands on the steering wheel of his car, and goes, I'm back in the game. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. love
0: that part. It's a pretty adorable movie for the most part. Right. Let me go ahead and say that this is a movie that I think of our three, you know, has the, has, really has plotting on its side because it can use the sort of, uh, you know, Corkscrew, like, gotta do this to do this Like, Shakespeare Set up to get us, like, six To eight characters deep in this movie And use kind of a roving POV To go wherever it wants And, I mean, I I think That's, like, its biggest benefit Is that it's just been mapped onto A brilliantly structured story Sure Yeah.
1: And it uses some pretty, I think, interesting High school cliches to get there
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, I mean Certainly that were viewed as more inventive when this movie came out a million years ago. Um, but yeah, I think it, it gives you a really good, like it doesn't hang the movie on too few characters. Right. Yes. It realizes that like, okay, there's the two main love stories and you know, if maybe one doesn't work, then the other one will. Yep. And there's like enough, but then there's like the, the Michael Ekman and Julia Stiles friends. There's that romance too mm-hmm. And then you texted me today about it too There's like uh, Alice and Janney's in this movie For no fucking reason right.
0: <laughs> As the counselor Miss Perky Makes no sense that she doesn't come back But you're right that's the movie's strategy Is It's just like We're gonna put enough at you And it's no surprise that this movie was spun off Into an unsuccessful ABC family Like, show later on because, like, you know, someone looks at this intellectual property and they're like, there really are a lot of characters in that. Like, we should expand this. But, like, part of what's so good about it is just, like, here is a
1: bunch. Like, enjoy. What I love about this movie is it almost feels like, you know, a collection of short stories or something. Sure. Because, like, each chapter of it or each section of it has, like, these, well, repeating Everybody gets their chance on screen. Yeah. I like particularly... I'll talk about Michael Eichmann in a second... But I also like the coach... Who gets like shot by that arrow which is really funny and then like references like that his butt still hurts in a later scene uh,
0: yeah that was i didn't put together that, that was the same person but i was gonna say that's yeah. one of my favorite moments is that guy who's kind of like being a hard-ass saunters to the desk right. and then can't sit down on
1: right, it. right right because his butt hurts because yeah. he's been shot by an arrow yeah. um but the funny thing is it doesn't just give him that gimmick he also has that like funny scene where he's talking to that like guy we've never met before where he's like Your your palms are or your your head your forehead's sweaty. Your eyes are all bloodshot. You've got pot, don't you? He's like, yes, sir. And he confiscates it. And then he has that beautiful moment where he just like makes like like passing eye contact with a bag of Cheetos and decides that he's confiscating this too as like part of the whole sting operation. Right.
0: Um, It's a good. It's just a good script. It's uh who did the script? It's uh Karen Lutz and Kirsten Smith did the script. Um and yeah, it just has that really like unafraid feeling where it's just like, "You know what? If we think that side character's cool, let's mess around with that for a few minutes."
1: Yeah, and I think like it may seem on the surface of this movie that they are like stocky sort of characters, but I think like what I really like about what they do with those tropes is that like even my buddy Michael Ekman is like a supremely strange character. Like he's very developed in like a bizarre way. Like he has the the whole thing where he like overdresses to like everything. Mm-hmm. And like the movie knows that he's overdressing. And then like Joseph Gordon-Levitt like as us, the audience is like, please take off that tie. <laughs> you dress like my great uncle. Yeah. My great uncle Milton. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and the, like the fact that he's, he sort of has like been banished from like seemingly several groups like of people. Right. Like he like he makes his rounds like through people, but he's never really like socialized himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is just like such a f- weird like funny, but like those people exist. But it's just sort of a funny character to have in an otherwise like pretty earnest like things are gonna be all right high school movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just perfectly cast.
1: Oh, just the, absolutely. Cast. um Except I have I have one exception. I think like the only thing that keeps this movie from being great is one fatal casting flaw.
0: Is it Gabrielle Union?
1: No, I don't think she's big enough to make a difference.
0: If you're about to insult Julia Styles right now, I won't hear it.
1: I'm gonna have to say I, won't I hear don't it. think that Julia Stiles is a very good actress. Well, okay. Whole list. I think she is like comically miscast in this movie. And I think that her like, her like just her acting like is not like this movie. It's not made for this movie. I, I boo you, I boo you
0: Julia Stiles is very specific And I will grant you robotic I first had a crush on her from Boar Identity And in that movie <laughs> she's just answering phones And trying not to die um, But, no, I really like that this movie Sort of, like, modulates her, like, roboticness Like, to just sort of, like, an irritated level and she reminds me of an actual high school student. The rest of these people just remind right. me of beautiful actors.
1: Right. Yeah. But that's the weird thing. It's like she almost comes off as like the youngest, most precocious one of them because she's like the least manicured. Sure. Yeah. Which is sort of a funny thing. But yeah, she definitely reminds me of people I went to high school with.
0: I mean, and yes, Hollywood kind of proves you right. Like Julia Styles did not have like a great career after this, but. I don't know. I think what she brings to it is really specific, and yeah, not very manicured. Can I talk about? I think it's perfectly cast, except for the part <laughs> where they draw attention to the own, their own like flaw in the casting, where they're in the bar. Uh, Krumholtz and Levitt go to the bar to meet Heath Ledger because he can just drink in a bar for some reason, right? And they're just like, so we found out what Julia Stiles likes. Like she's kind of into pretty guys. And he's like, you don't think I'm a pretty guy, do you? And <laughs> you're like, no, no, no. Heath Ledger is the prettiest guy there ever was. Like, wh- right. what is that supposed to be?
1: My favorite shot of this movie, I think, is the scene where he's walking into the lesbian bar wearing what appear to be shiny plastic pants <laughs> oh, yeah. that are that have been painted onto his body. He's wearing this tight black T-shirt and they's sort of like... Like light blue plastic shiny pants And he, there's this incredible panning shot Of him coming in and him being The only man there right, right. And he just like owns it And wears like a killer pair of pants Yeah, yeah Happy 1999 man It's uh, just, but like Heath Ledger's Just so beautiful He could literally wear anything
0: Later on he makes the bold choice Of wearing a, like an unbuttoned Untied tuxedo shirt Which I also thought was great that's not something you do unless you're, like, getting off work as a maitre d'. <laughs> right. <laughs> not you're dressing up to go somewhere. Right. Um. Anyway, well, let's turn toward a rating. I'm guessing you think it's probably pretty good good.
1: I think that, like, the things... Like, the plot is so... It, like you said, it's so well plotted that it can't be not entertaining. Right. And I think it's so like it's so good at the tropes like that it both invents and that it sort of celebrates from earlier other like Hughesian high school movies. Right. Um but I think it does that and says and adds enough more to the conversation of you know there's so many of these high school movies from the 90s. I think this is one of if not the best one.
0: Yeah. So it, I'm going to have to
1: say good good. Yeah.
0: It has all these things on its side and you know it ultimately yes ends in cuteness which makes it not quite like clueless you know i don't think you could write like an incredible sort of like you know post-mortem of this movie um, right but it has all these things on its side and and it's and it's cute and what i mean what do you really want out of high school romances if not like a level of like earnestness that's what i want so f- as a first timer right. to this movie somehow also a solid good good for me
1: that's great i'm glad that you like a movie that means a lot to me
0: yeah man uh in the land of women sucked but this was great
1: <laughs> no i I, ga- I came with you on that one i i still feel like we are not on the same page with the family man though well just why don't we Ta-da! why don't we cool it with all the mumbo jumbo and move on <laughs> to easy a um so do you want to do it Do you want me to do it
0: uh i can do it let's yeah so we're uh we're jumping ahead to 2010 here, um, which was the the year after I graduated high school. Um And so Easy A is uh the first time we really s- heard of Emma Stone, right? It's a real vehicle for Emma Stone, I would say.
1: Yeah. Well this was this was sort of like her first star turn after her s- breakout s- in Superbad. Super yeah, there you go. This is like four years after Super Bad, right? Yeah.
0: Yep, you're right This movie set in Ojai, California Is is based on Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter And they are reading the Scarlet Letter In her English class Taught by Thomas Hayden Church Who's her favorite teacher Um,
1: He seems like a pretty good teacher
0: He seems fine, to me And what happens in this movie Is that Emma Stone plays Olive And she appears to really only have like one friend it's, it seems like she leads. This does not appear to be a school that's quite stratified by a social group in the same way. But she like leads a fairly like lonely, unremarkable uh, existence, as socially speaking. And and so her best friend, um, Rhiannon. Know, yeah, Rhiannon. Um, should we know who that actress is?
1: Who rings the like bell? I looked her up later. Night? I like didn't recognize her from anything else.
0: She's like a, a like a little bit like. More sexually comfortable, I guess, right? Would you say Olive does not appear to be
1: Well, it's like pretty well known that Olive is a virgin, right. This right. movie, like yeah, this movie, like a lot of weight is placed on whether or not one is a virgin.: That's true, that's true. Um, which is like sort of funny if you look at all three of these movies reversing sort of that, like inclusive it didn't even really matter. And yep. then in Ten Things I Hate About You, it was like seen as like her first losing her virginity was like a sexual trauma,
0: right, right.
1: And then this one, it's like, oh my god, if you lose your virginity, the whole school's going to talk about it, which is like showing how we're like our social system is like becoming weirdly more conservative. But whatever, right? That's sort of what I meant at the beginning.
0: Yes. So she comes back from like basically i guess like a run-of-the-mill weekend where she's been lying to her friend about seeing this junior college guy kind of like made up a boyfriend uh so she comes back and she's uh lying to her friend she's like yeah i guess we we had sex and she's like not really sure and she's not like bragging about it but she's just like yeah sure whatever i lost my virginity this weekend amanda Bynes, who is uh real button-up like head of this like christian sect within right. within the high school overhears And, uh, in these interesting time-lapse sequence to show you that it's 2010, you see how word of her losing her virginity spreads via text message and, uh, the internet and whatever throughout, throughout the school. Um, and it becomes through a series of misunderstandings that like Emma Stone is super sexually active. Um, even though again, she has not had sex with anyone. Um, people start to come to her to be like, can you say that you took my virginity? So I'll be cooler.
1: Like, there's the nerds who like are in the subculture of the main culture. So the subculture, the word gets out that em- that uh, Emma Stone Olive will perform any services that the nerds want, is long- so it'll improve their reputation.
2: I always thought that pretending to lose my virginity would be a little more special. Judy Bloom should have prepared me for that.
0: Brandon told me what you did for
2: him. No,
0: he told me the truth. I was just hoping that maybe you could do the same for me.
2: So whether I liked it or not, I was open for business. 20% off to Bath & Body Works? Is that how much our imaginary trust spent to you?
1: I fake rocked your world.
2: We need to pray for her, but we also need to get her the hell out of here. Amen. Amen
1: there becomes a sort of business relationship between these people, but the mainstream just sees her hooking up with all these guys and thus like brands her much like the Scarlet letter. Uh, a like a, an adulterer.
0: Yeah. And she owns this. I mean, this is kind of the whole thi- the thing in which the movie hangs, I think, which we can argue whether it works or not. But the idea is that like she, you know, Plows headlong down this road Because like some attention Any publicity is good publicity I guess Right know, From where she's coming from um, And so she owns it Starts like dressing far more scantily And actually like wears a
1: Scarlet A Let's Can we just talk about the setup for this movie Sure And that's like what I want to talk about too Like in the context of all of these movies is Does the updating work mm-hmm. And I think like my biggest problem With all these movies Is And the adaptations thereof I I think is with this movie the most Okay Because I just think that the Hawthorne thing Like yes, wow You know, this happens in our culture It just seems like The values he's trying to update Don't necessarily jive with like What most young people would maybe believe And thus it feels like a 90s movie In its politics When really like There's a a movie like Twenty One Jump Street. I think is more sort of fun in that millennial way.
0: I think that's uh, that's a good way of describing it. Yeah, this is not a movie that's like it references the Scarlet Letter a lot and it plays with some ideas that your high school English teacher might teach you about the Scarlet Letter, but it's not like based on the plot of the Scarlet Letter at all. Right. Um, But yes, you're right. I think.
1: But like the whole question of it is kind of like. I don't know would if it's that care? relevant. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I just like Yeah, I just don't know that people would care. Like I it was a lot to suspend my disbelief that like her losing her virginity overheard by like a crazy churchy girl and then like texted to a bunch of people like that it would have like a smarter movie like just wouldn't have cared.
0: I mostly agree with you. I mean I think if I could almost like play devil's advocate a bit, I think like maybe that's what it's drawing on this idea that like high school is sort of like puritanical. It's like a small town uh-huh. where like everyone's business, someone's business is everyone's business. Um, right.
1: But you're sitting in an Ojai, California, and right. you're like <laughs> accepting these weird like political things that I feel like should have trickled down because if you see the adult world that these kids are dealing with, which is totally ridiculous Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that it's, it's, I mean, it's like Charlie Brown level ridiculous, but like, I think the parents are the best part about this movie and the adults are the best part of this movie, Yeah, but they're not being subjected to that sort of culture otherwise. And they like, there are lines that actively reference, you know, that, like, the election, and, like, the states are blue and red. And, like, this movie's politically aware. It's just weirdly kind of, like, thinks shitty of, like, our young people.
0: Yeah. If I can expand your criticism. Yeah. This movie is aware of many things. In fact, it is obsessed with, like, referencing other high school movies. There's
1: a montage of John Hughes movies in this movie. But I'm not
0: sure to what end i mean i think it's trying to be clever because it, you know it's just like you know the, uh, it's saying i'm not an original premise i am in some ways just another one of these high school movies and even my protagonist re- wishes she was living in an 80s high school movie not a 2010s high school movie right but like ultimately what for other than to kind of like take you out of it you know
1: like the i mo- just think this movie would make more sense if it was a john hughes movie and came out 30 years ago. Right. When there was just more taboo. When more taboo existed. Yeah. I just think this movie plays upon this, these taboos within young people that don't exist. Mm -hmm. And that are, are just not interesting. And then, but sort of weirdly knows it too. Like when you grow up, things will be fine, but they won't be fine because like, then there's the relationship with her teacher, Thomas Hayden church. And then, um, Phoebe from friends. Who's her, her guidance counselor. Right. My other question too is like the movie doesn't set up really the relationship with um Pen Badgley. Badgley.
0: Right. It's very underdone. It's very it's
1: underdone. It's like he's like there and he's like a weird friend that she's not attracted to for like most of the movie and then at the end it's like, Oh, of course she's attracted to him she just like like couldn't say anything about it. But the fact that she never mentions his like she explains everything else so in depth that like, who is this guy?
0: Yeah, well, she said she, you know, liked seeing his torso when he was the half-naked
1: blue devil. Um,
0: Right. But, yeah, it's he's, like, a
1: stunningly good-looking man.
0: It's really... uh, Yeah, it's really underdone. And, frankly, I think that was part of my problem. You know, I came to this movie just, like, excited to see Emma Stone. I'm like, Emma Stone's gonna be super funny and, like, really good in scenes... Do you
1: think um, when they overdubbed her singing voice is when they decided to cast her in La La Land? I knew that that was coming uh, from (laughs)
0: from this afternoon when I watched it. I was like, just cue the Noah La La Land crack here. Um,
1: (laughs) Maybe they should have done the same thing for La La Land. All right.
0: Cue the second Noah La La Land crack here. Um, But, and I think she is really good in this movie. You know, if I was, if this was, if, if, uh, if this was me watching uh, Haley Steinfeld and Edge of 17 this year, I would be excited to see Emma Stone again. Um, because like, it, it's good. Like Her fake laughs are good. Her repartee is good. But I think the the critical problem is, when I think about the things I have loved uh, Emma Stone in, she's always with a partner. It's always with Gosling or Andrew Garfield in those bad Spider-Man movies that Somebody are still super cute. Somebody she can play cute. off of. Chocolate House? Ed Norton in Birdman. And frankly pen badly neglected she just doesn't have any notable recurring banter partners in this movie
1: what i also like find frustrating about this movie and i can't decide if it's like politically sound or not um but the idea that ultimately it hangs in this weird trope too that sometimes these teen movies do of like Of course, like Emma Stone is a stunningly beautiful woman, right? But like the movie refuses to acknowledge that until she starts wearing better clothes. (laughs) Yeah. Like she's just sort of this loner loser when like in real life, she's like one of the most beautiful people in the world. Yeah. And so it's like the same thing, like when Rachel Lee Cook comes down the stairs and, you know, uh, she's all that. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, she was this, she just was a stunningly beautiful woman with a bad haircut.
0: Right. Right, right.
1: You know? And so it's sort of... But I think it's kind of a a trick and not a terribly, like, you know, humanizing one.
0: That's a, I mean, that's a good point. She does not have that thing that, uh, that Haley Steinfeld has in Edge of 17 or that Julia Stiles has in 10 Things I Hate About You where, like, they really are pretty convincing in their standoffishness. And, like, if... I mean, even if you don't think... If you to say nothing of her looks, she's still, like, really charming and funny. Like, how does she not have more friends?
1: Right. Yeah, yeah she's, make like, make great. She's sense. got these great parents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Stanley can Tucci, we talk about and, Tucci? And Patricia Clarkson, yeah. They're incredible. I think the, one of the hardest times I laughed in this movie is such a throwaway line. It's when Stanley Tucci sits with her brother, his son, their adopted son, you know? <laughs> like, the day after that they... Like, the... There's like a gag in the breakfast before about him being adopted And like Stanley Tucci gets like fake upset about it Yeah um, But he sits down with his son and goes So where are you from originally? <laughs> it's just such a funny Like yeah. just It's such a dad joke But it's like a, such a cool dad joke
0: Yeah The movie I think it would have done Better to have more of that and less referential things like referencing the bucket list for a whole bit. It's just like that. Why don't you just leave that to some random episode of New Girl? Like, don't. Right. Like, why? <laughs> you're, gonna, you're making a, a major motion picture here. Like, yeah. let's make the banter worth it.
1: See, I think a braver movie has her be homeschooled.
0: Oh, interesting. To really use those parents and their sensibility.
1: You have a movie that's more like Submarine. Have you ever seen that, that British movie? No, what is it it's got the kid from uh fundamentals of caring in it um, uh-huh. there's this kid like basically reconciling his relationship his like weird relationship with his parents and sort of falls for a girl at the same time okay um it's really really good, but like it doesn't it's a high school movie, but it doesn't like try to be too much of a high school movie mm-hmm. and I think this movie I like get tired of it trying to be a high school movie.
0: I think it just would have done better to have earnestness. I was really struck by. That moment where it's, you know, making fun of Ferris Bueller. And then there's a musical number for some reason. And then at the end of this movie, she's like, and now I get to have my musical number for some reason. And it's just like, okay, well, you know, you're clever. You identified the trope. You saw the plot hole in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But don't you realize that you'll never be as cool as the movie that just went ahead and did
1: it? Right.
0: Like, what's there's no there's no like greater meaning to what you're doing by, like, constantly nodding at the fact...
1: That's what upsets me about this movie is that it like never has that thing that like will like the trope will be made around, right? Like the 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 Heath Ledger singing Frankie Valley, like that big gesture is such like a but this movie doesn't have any big gestures.
0: I think it's a little just it's a little too self conscious for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like even its big climactic moment is like it's just a breaking of the fourth wall and then a reshoot of uh say anything with John Cusack except he's holding like bluetooth speakers. Yeah. yeah. You know. and on the lo- the lawnmower from Fast Times. Yeah. So. So Yeah, I I don't I don't think it's like a well-made movie.
0: Yeah, I think I was expecting a lot more. Um and I think what ultimately I thought for sure, I thought, frankly, I thought for sure it was going to be good, good. And I think it's actually bad good. Um, I mean...
1: I think it's so bad good. uh, Yeah,
0: I think if you want to check out Emma Stone, if you want to see why we like Emma Stone, if you want to see why she, like, caught on and um, is able to do those, like, amazing scenes where she makes uh, Ryan Gosling play Iran, like, look this far back for her comedic sensibility. This will always be sort of, like, the source point of her stardom. Um, Yeah. But for all the reasons we said, I just don't there's not a lot to like savor as a piece of complete filmmaking here. So bad. Good for me.
1: Yeah. I'll agree with you. I think it's bad. Good. Um, but that's the thing. Like I watch it again tonight and be like thoroughly entertained. Yeah. Yeah. There's, But I don't think, I think it just like knows it has an outline. It hits all the beats. It hits them all in a funny way, but there's nothing new about this. Right. And I think like, and there's nothing new politically about it too. It's sort of like, it's neither like the good, the technical masterpiece of get out, nor is it as like politically cunning. Yep.
0: And all of our great, and all of our great high school movies, uh, frankly are, have memorable ensembles and this one does not.
1: That's the thing too. It's like the cast, It just like misuses so many people. Yeah. It
0: like
1: doesn't have the right, it doesn't have the right amount of like scenes with like their own sort of little narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't care about the side stories It's basically just Emma Stone Yep, 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 yep Well, we killed this category
0: We, uh, yeah, I think we drove it into the ground Um, any overarching thoughts? I might have one, but what do you, do you have any?
1: You go first
0: Well, it's just, I was thinking about, like, why we adapt Like, this seems, like, weird, right? Like, why in the yeah, last this, 25 this, years this does genre Hollywood... is pretty weird And then we, you Pointed out today that she's the man also would have fit This
1: category right yeah Because that's 12th night um.
0: So it's Kind of it's odd that Like it doesn't seem like a given Thing that would just happen but I think A couple things that I thought of were like one That we forget how Young the protagonists of like uh Eight Like 17th 16th century literature Actually are they probably would be in high school If you like moved right. it to today But then also I was trying to think of, like, how can you take the incredible stakes of, like, Shakespeare and Hawthorne and, like, the social stakes of Austin? Like, where do those exist today? And, like, where they exist right. is in a place where, high where everyone thinks that everything is crucially important. Like, you couldn't even set these movies in college because people would just be like... nobody, No one in these movies says, like, that's not important or, like, who gives a damn? Who cares? Everyone cares about everything. Well,
1: yeah, they're all... I think what's what's attractive about them, yeah, it's, like, these big cast sort of, like, comedies of manners. Right. And, like, yeah, like, the only institution we really have left for young people who, like, you know, have to be well-behaved is the construct of school. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other appealing thing about them, too, is that they're ideas that people has, have liked for hundreds of years and they're all in the public domain. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, yeah But that's just the cynic in me
0: <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to uh, shell out too much for that Shakespeare IP Right Well, this was fun I had a good time uh, Thank you so much again to Joanna Novak for uh, for coming on and uh, discussing And her book is out in May, is that right? Her representation?
1: Yeah, the book's coming out I Must Have You is the title Coming out from uh, Sky Horse Publishing on the 9th of May, 2017
0: Great to talk to you as always Listeners Always oh, a pleasure Hope you liked this one You've all been to high school If you're listening I probably went to high school With some of you <laughs> um, That's true So find past episodes of the show On iTunes SoundCloud You can catch up with all kinds of things uh, Christian missionary movies Starring Liam Neeson uh, High school football movies um, You know What else have we done recently The erotic thrillers of Michael Douglas All kinds of categories uh, For your pleasure And
1: Every time I go on Netflix, I see more and more movies that we've done. Uh, So if you, like, see an episode where you're like, oh, I haven't seen that movie. Like, a lot of these movies are, like, readily available through streaming services and are honestly the reason we choose them.
0: (laughs) Very much so. Yeah, we try to pick stuff that's that's available to you. So uh, thank you, everyone. Noah, thank you, pal.
1: Thank you. This has been such a pleasure.
0: What classic literature is our podcast based on? Of Mice and Men?
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Tell me about the rabbits, Chance. (laughs) Bye, everybody.